0: This episode of the David Suisa podcast brought to you by Mount Sinai Memorial Parks and Mortuaries. This is not a subject people like to talk about, but it's unfortunately an important one that needs to be taken care of with reverence and holiness. For over 60 years, Jewish families throughout Southern California have entrusted Mount Sinai to care for their loved ones. In addition to managing two beautiful cemetery properties in the Hollywood Hills and Simi Valley, Mount Sinai also provides the full range of Hebra Kedisha services. This is one of the most sensitive subjects in our community. And it's one that we're grateful for places like Mount Sinai to be there. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you'll always speak to a Mount Sinai employee, never an answering service. So please get on their website, Get all the information you need, parks.org Again, mountsinaiparks.org, and we're grateful to them for sponsoring this episode of the David Suisa Podcast. All right, this is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. Today. We have my friend, co-founder and CEO of the Israel-American Council, IAC, Shoham Nicole. Welcome, Shoham.
1: Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me here. So where does Nicolet come from? It's a... Um, it doesn't feel like an Israeli name. Right. The beautiful thing about Israel and the Jewish people that we bring people from all continents. So Nikolay is actually a Swiss name. So Israel brought my parents, where my grandparents came from Switzerland. Oh, from they, your mother's side? From my mother's side, it's from Iraq. So okay, and your
0: father is from Switzerland. It's it's more wow. complicated than that. Okay. but uh, <laughs> but that's what's
1: beautiful about Israel—that you have all these diasporas coming together. It's true, and then and then you've been uh, CEO for a few years now, right? I, mean, it's I was one of the founders of the ISC. I was the founding CEO. It wasn't a full-time job. Then I became a board member, and recently, about four years, I'm the full-time CEO. It's
0: like you're the fastest-growing. Jewish organization in America. I don't think I'm exaggerating, right? Cause yeah, it's when probably I, when I go to one your of events, the fastest, yeah. It's unbelievable. How many cities are you in now?
1: We have now um, 20 offices. We're in 58 communities, more than 100 campuses.
0: Wow. I'll tell you, the one thing that really struck with me, because uh, we've been following you at the Jewish Journal for years now. You used to be the ILC, and I think 2013 you changed to... Uh, Israel American Council, the the one thing that struck with me was this idea that for many years, the Israelis who lived in America were kind of quiet in a way, because there was a sense of a little bit of guilt that that you left. You left the homeland, the place that we waited 1900 years for, right? So I think you kind of kept quiet on that. And talk to us about that, because at one point, you guys decided, let's stop being quiet. Let's see. We're here. We're in America. Let's see what we can do.
1: I think that there are two pivotal moments for the for our community. The first one was really in 2007 where we decided not only not to be quiet but to become an asset. So we didn't we, back then we didn't talk about threats and, and I'm saying that because it to bring me to the point of today 2019 but we always spoke about opportunities and possibilities. That was always our focus. And said, we said, listen, there is around 10% of Jewish America are Israeli Americans, uh, Israeli immigrants, first and second generation. What if they're already here? What if we create um, and convert them into a strategic asset for Israel and for the Jewish community? That was the idea. It was a simple idea. is how you would really bring them together. And, and there was also a concern,
0: from what I recall, that... There was more um, assimilation. They were right. losing some of the Jewish connection that you naturally had when you mm-hmm. grew up in Israel. And I think you realized at one point, my God, they're not being raised in Petachigva and in, in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. This is, you know, West Covina.
1: And it's not the same thing. And there was a little concern. Absolutely. The assimilation rates in the Israeli-American community was, were much higher than the Jewish-American community. There was a complete disconnect of the Israeli-American community. from It wasn't a community, actually. It was just pockets of Israeli-Americans that didn't even call themselves Israeli-Americans. They were called Israelis. Right. And the paradigm shift that we brought to the table is to tell you them the, the Americans. We, yep. add, we added, you're, you're actually Americans. Yeah. And that was a big deal. It and really is
0: a big deal, Sean. So, um, I mean, you really kind of rallied all the israelis who lived in america and did you say 10% of i, th- I think it's about 10% so that's a lot f- that's yeah. what 600,000 maybe yeah so and out of those 600,000 do you have a good sense of, of where they are how many of them you're
1: reaching it's it's obvious that uh, the largest uh, communities here in LA LA new york uh, new york florida now you see israelis all over the place and th- the cool thing about it is that it's not a closed community. There is always circulation with Israel. I think this is the strength of, the strength of our community, that always you have first generation of Israelis coming in and going back to Israel. Yes. So think about this advantage of having Israel something from Israel coming into the Jewish American community all the time. I see, I see. And Israelis going back to Israel bring something from the Jewish American community back to Israel. This is what we call the living bridge.
0: Right, right, right. So you're, um, so on the one hand, you are connect creating a connection between the Israelis in America and the non-Israelis, like the classic yep. organizations like the Jewish Federation, and all these non-Israeli organizations. You're creating more of a connection, right?
1: Right, and, and not only that, not only that we bring Israel here from firsthand experience, telling Israel's story from a very personal aspect. I think that. Suddenly, there is a new secret sauce, which is the second generation of Israeli-Americans, the hybrids. It's my son that is growing within the Jewish-American community, but he gets at home the Israeliness. And they're becoming the perfect living bridges with this That's very unique connection yeah. to Israel, mm-hmm. but at the same time, An understanding, American.
0: An understanding yeah. of American culture. I mean... You know, the reality is that the two communities are going in really different directions on so many levels. You know, if you just pick one, for example, right, you get what's called now Generation Fragile. You have kids on campuses that need a safe space because of a microaggression. They'll see an email on a Halloween costume, and they'll say it's a sign of danger, of threat, and so forth. And then you imagine the typical Israeli who's been in the army, He's the exact opposite of fragile, right? When, he, when you talk about a safe space in Israel, you mean a bunker with, you know, cement that's going to really protect you from a bomb. And a safe space in America is a little corner of the cafeteria where nobody's going to disagree with you, right? So that's just one example of how the two communities are... Going in a different direction and then i'm wondering if you this community that you've created here if they're like straddling the fence if they if
1: they kind of represent the two safe spaces if you will so this i think this is where the biggest opportunity for the ic right now if you look at the numbers other than one program that we have around 20 to 50 percent of our participants are jewish americans Mm -hmm. The ICE is becoming a Jewish-American organization. With Israel and Israel in the center, when you come to our summit in December, 25% are Jewish-Americans. Now, what is my son? I'm asking you. He's three and a half years old. He's going to a preschool in a reform synagogue born here in the U.S. Is he Israeli-American or Jewish-American? The answer is that I don't have an answer. I know that he speaks Hebrew. I know that he's connected to Israel and his grandparents are in Israel and his cousins. So I, even if, and I completely agree with you is that there is us and them, but I think that our vision is one community with Israel in the center.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating because, you know, for decades and decades, the idea here was America needs Jewish values, right? Uh, We always talked about the Jewish contributions to America, and your organization has added a layer to that, which is the Israeli contribution to america which is not exactly the same thing and this idea of israeliness now we have examples of the memorandum of understanding with california to help with the drought and everything that israel is doing to pick, to help that problem on the cybersecurity and on so many other levels there's an idea of how israel can can help america so you're adding sort of this second layer and it's, I think we're sort of in transition right now because so many of us have been used to saying, well, it's Jewish values that help America, but now it's, it's also Israeli values, and it's
1: not exactly the same thing. It's not exactly the same thing, but what I love in what you say is that I believe that when we speak about with the second generation, we cannot speak about threats. Mm-hmm. If they don't care about Israel... They don't care if there is a threat to Israel if they don't care Mm -hmm. about their Jewishness why Mm -hmm. they should care about the simulation But if we look at Israel as an opportunity an opportunity for them to connect to identity I think the biggest gift that you can give right now the second generation in America Where the biggest epidemic that we have right here right now across the nation is isolation Is the the lack of sense of belonging if you give Mm -hmm. them the sense of Goosebumps and I'm taking this word from (laughs) you and we'll go back to it later and a sense of family, and a sense there is a home for you somewhere mm-hmm. across, the, uh, across the globe, I think this is the greatest gift you can give the second generation. So we need to talk more about possibilities and opportunities. And yes, I think that one of the things that is very important for us is the notion that you also need to be active, that you cannot be passive when you see a threat or where you see um, something that's, is threatening your uh, community.
0: And you get uh, one of the threats that you see is you get this idea that uh, the BDS movement and intersectionality is trying to turn Israel into a dirty word, right? So on the one hand, you have the examples of how Israel is contributing to American society on a scientific level, in terms of Hollywood, and on many other levels. And on the other hand, you see, especially on college campuses, sort of a movement to undermine and contaminate the word Israel. And you're right in the middle of that. So you have, you know, these American Jews. By the way, I'm surprised you had that many American Jews at your conference that are not Israeli. Is that up to 20%? Yeah, so I'm sure there that you have a lot of Jews within your community that are being exposed to both sides, to the, the positive Israel influence and then the... The uh, undermining of the Israeli brand, how
1: do you deal with that? I think that one of the advantages of this concept of Israeliness is the love for Israel that is beyond politics. Mm-hmm. Because we even within the I.C. you have all spectrum of politics. You do? We, we absolutely do. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, it's one of the things that I'm always excited when I'm going from uh, chapter to chapter to meet with our council members. So, mm-hmm. so we're sitting around the table. Uh, it can be 10 people, 15 people, It depends on the the city. And I know what these people think because many of them are my friends. So I know that this one is really (laughs) on on the right side, side, really on the left side. I know the the, the private WhatsApp that's going on. And every time I go back to bed, you know, in the hotel room or wherever, and I tell myself, this is amazing that they can go from city to city. Everyone talks with love about Israel. Everyone Uh is working together, putting their money, energy, excitement about Israel and they completely disagree with each other. I saw that. If we can yeah. bring that to the mm-hmm. Jewish community, think about the power that we can have.
0: I saw that. I was in the, I was in the audience a couple of years ago uh, on a Saturday night. You had thousands of people at your annual conference, and Rudy Giuliani was speaking, and it was clear where he was coming from. And I could see in the audience this debate that this, this is both sides. This was not unanimous. Uh, so I saw it with my own eyes that you have people on both sides, but it seems to me that you really have made an effort not to be too political in the past few years.
1: I think there is a difference between being political, because if you you don't deal with politics, you're irrelevant. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between partisanship and political. Mm. So we do want to be influential, right, on everything that the Jewish American and Israel communities um, care about. So fighting BDS, it's a political move, Gotcha. But it's never a partisan issue. I see. This so you have a
0: political arm. Right? Absolutely, the yeah.
1: political arm is completely dealing with issues that we care about, which is BDS, mm-hmm. anti-Semitism. We cannot be uh, sitting on the defense. We cannot just ignore these things. These are right. threats it's like the ADL for communities. So we have to be active. Mm-hmm. So that you could call that politics. But it's if the I C would become political, I don't think that it would survive. Sorry. If it will become partisan, it won't survive. And I think this is the biggest threat also for the Jewish American community. This notion that political opinion changes your position for the love for Israel, for example.
0: I've never seen our community more divided, Shoham. i got to tell you, we have uh, never I've been around for, for years. I thought the Iran deal was super, super divisive. And the past couple of years in this new administration just the most divided I've ever seen, where it gets beyond just regular debate and disagreement. It's in rejection. So if you voted for the other side, then I'm going to reject you. And you've you've grown tremendously during a time that we've been so divided.
1: Because the majority is a silent majority that don't want to speak politics. Mm -hmm. These are the unaffiliated, those that are just looking for... A sense of belonging, a sense of community, and you don't hear them because they're silent, because they don't want to be connected to the institutions that became so political. And what we cre- what we're trying to create is a safe home for them, where they can be there. By the way, you wrote about it in one your uh, in your editorial coming back from our summit, is that it's n- we are not against debate. Our mm-hmm. debates are mm-hmm. we yell at each other mm-hmm. when it comes to debates and political debates. But at the end of the day, we celebrate together as one family. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we are not saying we need to agree on everything and we um, we need to be on the same page. Well, you make a
0: really interesting point because there's a new study and they, they call it the exhausted majority. These are the people who really don't want the partisan fighting. And they're a big majority and they're quiet. And it's from the Pew study. It was quoted by David Brooks in the New York Times. And we've been, we're going to do a story on it, but this is the one thing I remember f- from that study was the exhausted majority. But if you just look at the media, you would think that the division the, the really dominates the whole country. and it, it really doesn't. And look, I'm part of the media as well, and there's a bias involved because division is more interesting to cover than, than unity. Right. You know,
1: and, and by the way, I think in the second generation or the younger generation, Generation Y, and especially Generation Z, if we keep on talking about these political issues and making them the issues, we will lose this generation. Mm-hmm. They'll lose the patience. They're looking for the possibilities, opportunities, ha- a bright fu- future for them. So we need to decide whether we are right or we are unjust or we are smart. And being smart is connecting them to Israel without connecting it to politics, connecting them to their Jewishness and to their roots and to the beauty of Jewishness without the institutional politics and without creating this, all these conditions all the time. And I think that there is a huge opportunity right now for the Jewish community because I do believe and I meet with many um, young people in my generation and the younger generation, and we saw it here in L.A., We've just mm-hmm. brought our teenagers. Mm-hmm. They are craving this sense of belonging, this, mm-hmm. this sense of their belong to something bigger than themselves, mm-hmm. this notion of a homeland, the notion of, um, of uh, 3,000 years of history. Right, they're, right. They're, this is for them, this is the roots. This is, a, this is a huge gift that we can give them.
0: Oh, I tell you know, educators that all the time, and psychologists in terms of this need for self-esteem and identity. It's an unbelievable idea to think that you're part of one of the great, greatest stories ever told. This is what I tell my kids all the time. And, you know, it's uh, we're in a very lonely society right now. And uh, there's a huge problem of loneliness and, and suicide it has gone up with the world of social media. And a lot of kids are feeling really, really lonely. And they're looking for something to hang on to. And I tell my kids, well, look at this. You were born with it. You got this connection with, you know, this th- amazing, amazing story that you're part of. doesn't mean you're better. It just means you're part of this incredible story that's been going on for centuries and centuries. And what a, what a gift, what a privilege, what a responsibility. But it's also a source of meaning. And I think this is what kind of you're tapping into. And when we talk about Israel, we always kind of forget You know, this idea of waiting 1,900 years to come home, that's like, (laughs) that always blows me away, Schwab. How do you you
1: you wait for anything for 1,900 years? (laughs) Not only that, think about this concept that you were born here in the United States, you're completely American, you don't even have to be connected to your Jewishness, then you go to this foreign country, you like fly 15 hours, (laughs) you land there, and everyone hugs you that you're part of uh, their family and they don't even know who you are. And yeah. there is nothing common between you and them besides this Jewish title. It's I think it's amazing, and I think this is why, for example, Taglit is such an important uh, birthright, a pro- birthright, yeah. um, is such a, an important important project. But this concept is is we take I think that the biggest risk that we have is that we take these gifts that we got mm-hmm. for granted, mm-hmm. and if we don't pass them to our st- uh, next generation, I think that we're um, making the, the biggest mistake that we can make this is a gift for them
0: yeah it gets lost it gets lost in media coverage and the media covers the occupation and the media covers the balagan that's happening in the knesset and the haredi chief rabbinate and all the problems and imperfection and flaws of israel
1: get 99 percent of the coverage and because it's interesting, yeah. but at the end of the day, and again, I think that what's great about the Israeli approach that we can debate about politics and mm-hmm. we disagree on everything that we can disagree on, mm-hmm. but it doesn't change. Doesn't change the love for Israel. Yeah, and and you know, and the focus. Uh, uh, you're from the media, so I'd ask you how, how you turn this love for Israel and the positive, into an opportunity for uh, in the the sense of the media.
0: I'll tell you what it is from from our end. It's the idea of uh, human storytelling because there's there's a humanity to Israel that just moves me. I've been there 50 times. I go there two, three times a year. And at all levels, there's a sense of humanity, even if you just take social justice. There are more social justice organizations in Israel per capita than any country in the world. There are thousands and thousands of social justice organizations that wake up every morning to fight for the rights of women, of minorities, of Arabs, of Bedouins, of Ethiopians, of gays, and so forth. That alone moves me as much as anything. So when people think that, you know, Israel is only startup nation— because you know they get all the cool companies of the world like Google and Apple and Amazon to go there. Yeah, that might be true, and it might, it's also true that they have these great TV shows and entertainment. They do a lot of great stuff, but for me it's the social justice stuff. The fact that you're an Arab organization and you have the right to demonstrate. The fact that you have Ethiopians who have the right to demonstrate, who have the right to go to the Supreme Court, thousands of them. And they put... the. the, the, When I see them, you know, freezing the country on the freeways and so forth, I don't look at it as a negative. I look at it as they come from a place where they would be shot if they were doing that. And here they're in a place where they have the freedom to to demonstrate. So I think the the idea, of the goosebumps, that you and I talk about a lot, (laughs) because I love that word, is... You know, the goosebumps is a, is, a, is a complicated term because, you know, there's the goosebumps of waiting 1,900 years to come home, and there's also the goosebumps of what they've created in Israel, and there's also the goosebumps of being an American and having the freedom— have these conversations and to have the demonstrations that we have here so i think it's a really interesting marriage between these two communities shoham and, and, and all too often you know people are just talking about the negative and we're like a divorce you know and we're, we're splitting up and you're going in the exact
1: opposite direction right i, I think that at the end of the day first of all, i absolutely agree with you and it's how you bring the people, because this is when the magic happens, right? When birthright, they're going to Israel, and then they're meeting with the IDF soldiers. And again, in the experience that we had here, we brought 14 kids from Israel, from an, uh, from an organization called uh, Education for Excellence. Mm-hmm. These are un- underprivileged kids coming from uh, both Jewish and, is- and Arab Israelis, um, and they came here. And you know what, what happened is that For the American side, for our community, suddenly they saw this social justice you're talking about and these underdogs in Israel became the leaders here because Mm -hmm. they brought Israel to L.A. And the kids, when they went back home, you know what they said? They said, it's the first time we understood the meaning of being Jewish. The fact that outside of Israel you need to wake up in the morning and make a decision to be Jewish and to be active about it. Think... What? how you can teach it in school. You cannot do it. So you're bringing only America
0: it, to Israel too.
1: Absolutely. I the see. idea yeah. is that to create mm-hmm. this bridge for mm-hmm. the gap, you just need to have the two communities having a shared experience. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where the ISC is, is in between, trying to, to, to close this void that is going on, this gap, and only through shared experiences, shared positive experiences, through shared goals. Because... Both communities care about our past, um, both the positive and 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 uh, the tragedies we had in the past. Both are concerned about the future, and if we create a small opportunities for them to come together to work together, and that's to it.
0: understand the differences and to not feel guilty about the differences. Right. If I live in a in a in a city in Israel that's ninety nine point nine percent Jewish in my community, and here it's two percent Jewish, how is it? possible that they could be the same. So naturally, there are going to be differences. But when I hear you speak about this, you put your finger on one of perhaps the the top two or three issues of concern in the overall American Jewish community in in America is they talk about this all the time, Sean. So if you are bringing this kind of skill set of connecting the two communities who are diverging right now, are you getting uh, interest from Jewish federations and from other organizations that are saying, you know, we kind of want to take advantage of your expertise in this area, because I know they're worried about it.
1: If I had to guess, I would say that around 70 to 80% of the significant things the IC is doing is in partnership with other organizations. Okay, like, give me an example. So, uh, for example, um, every strategic program that we have in Boston is with CJP, with the local federation. Mm. And um, we have in Tenafly, we moved our offices into the JCC. Um when we talked about uh, lobbying in, uh, in California, we did it with AJC. Uh-huh. So our approach nice. is that we cannot win this alone. No one can win this alone. Doesn't matter who you are. You have to work in coalitions and in partnerships. You got the software. And, yeah. And, we, and we're. And not only that, we we are not trying to create an isolated community. We believe that we're part of the Jewish-American community, and the Jewish-American community is part of what we do.
0: Can I make a suggestion? Absolutely. Um, at your next conference in Fort Lauderdale, and I was there last year, amazing hotel. <laughs> really, good choice. And it's minutes away from where my brother lives. Um, you know, if you would make a bigger deal of that, I think it would be a tremendous tremendous effect this idea of how you are really like embedded in the American Jewish community is a major source of progress in your organization and I think if you can kind of give examples of that and even in the in your video it would make a great statement of achdut of Jewish unity we're putting our money where our mouth is so we're not just obsessed with our own ego and everything has to be under our brand and our name
1: I think that's a kind of a Thing. I don't know if you remember from last year, but we decided to give an award for community service. So you'd assume that the ISU would give it to someone from the Israeli American community, but we ended up deciding to give it to Barry Schraig, the oh, former he's terrific. president of he's CJP. Amazing. He's so and cool. that was a message. The message is yeah. that we right. look at uh, Barry and others as part of our leadership mm-hmm. and in and uh, as an inspiration for us. And. If you look at, at the summit and everything we do right now, we understand that for years to come, we have to be within the Jewish American community and we have to to have the impact. Still, keep this Israeliness and Israel at the core of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I agree with you that this is something that we this is a story that we need to tell much more.
0: And you know what's good about that too is you re, you, you keep the uh, the idea of Jewishness in mind. I remember a few years ago, I was there with Mika Goodman and You guys invited he and I to speak, because you were worried about assimilation among the kids. They were losing their Jewishness. And we talked about the importance of Shabbat and so forth, and uh, there's always the big question, are you Israeli first or are you Jewish first, right? It's such a complicated question. I always say I'm Jewish first, as much as I love Israel, because Israel is a deep expression of my Judaism, right? Um, but there is a possibility that I- Israeli culture and identity is so strong that it could end up dominating even the word Jewish, right? So by you connecting with the American Jewish
1: community, you're keeping Jewish in the game. I agree with you. Do We believe that without the Jewishness, the Israeliness won't survive here. Well, w- well put. And it's, it's, you know, it's something that it takes time because you come, just like you said, from a majority in Israel. You wake up in the morning, you know you're Jewish. You need to do nothing to be Jewish. Jewish. Mm-hmm. Here, if you're not active about it, if my kids won't be raised as Jewish, mm-hmm. they won't maintain their Israeliness. So we found, going back to the goosebumps, for example, that we started to teach our community, or having the conversation with the community, through Jewish text, traditional Jewish text. Mm-hmm. Not in a religious way, mm-hmm. but through a cultural and, and, uh, and heritage way. And talking about uh, for example, community or leadership through Jewish text. Mm-hmm. And people are falling in love. People Give me an example
0: t- of that. Who's leading that? And
1: We have we have a program called Gvanim. Gvanim. And so, you know, so there was a case in, in New York that, that an Israeli-American, she was in her 40s, was actually crying. And she said, listen, for years, I grew up in Israel, I came here, I missed all this beauty. Mm-hmm. So we have these groups. So I think we had... 230 graduates di- just this year from this program. And we're going to have now these Chevrutas uh, all across the nation um, just coming around Jewish text and talking about it and then saying, okay, how it's relevant for today, how it's relevant for our connection to Israel, for being here uh, in, at the at diaspora. So this is one example how Jewishness can strengthen the Israeliness and vice versa.
0: Uh, it's also it's a very Israeli thing that uh, or you don't have to be religious to learn text. That's a <laughs> I see so many organizations in Israel that do that. You have-
1: and this is why it's so appealing for Jewish Americans. You know, in Philadelphia we have this program called Shishi Israeli. You basically celebrate Shabbat in Israeli style. So with the kiddush and everything, but it's very cultural. In Philly, we have more than fifty percent Jewish Americans. So you ask yourself why Jewish Americans would come, also in New York. Why did they come to Shishi Israeli? How does it make sense? So suddenly this Israeli kind of tradition is becoming very relevant for the unaffiliated. Mm -hmm. Because you get into the room, no one asks you who you are. Are you orthodox or reform or conservative or you you don't need to identify yourself? Are you going to politics? Who cares if you're Republican or Democratic, if you're right or left? Just come in and just being part of the family and think about the magic that it creates.
0: You know, you're you're talking about something uh, that's covered in a book that's just coming out called Jews-Railies. It's by Shmuel Rosner and Camille Fuchs. It's a really major... I read the research, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the researcher. And it's talking about this new kind of Judaism that's evolving in Israel. And you're taking that Judaism that's evolving in Israel and bringing it here. It's a little bit of a Sephardic Judaism, it's a Judaism that's not obsessed with denominations. It's a Judaism that really will, you'll do Friday night Shabbat, and then you might go out after. Uh, some people call it traditionalist. But it's really a, a, an interesting new development.
1: Yeah, and we see, we're talking about numbers. I think there were around 16,000 people coming to Shishi really across the nation just this past year. So the numbers are huge, and we find that it's, it's almost like mini-movements going on. Within the ISC right now, taking there in Boston, we had 22 of these events just this past year. Mm -hmm. So we found people are craving for it. Is it Friday night only? It's Friday night. Sometimes it's Saturday night because Mm -hmm. there are more traditional communities that observe the Shabbat. So we do it Saturday evening. We do it around the holidays. So it's really, and and again, the ISC that we we don't believe in, it's a coast-to-coast organization. Think about it. There is no other organization right now in in the Jewish community that tries to build... A cost-to-cost community. There are so many communities, right? So we we cannot have copy-pasting anything that we do. The communities are so different, right, right, right. So but do you have
0: a an orthodox track? Like if uh, within the IAC, if somebody wanted, it, you know, and Glad
1: culture, you, and you came to our conference, and you know that, for example, in our conference, and that was uh, Rabbi Shemto from uh, DC told me. You said you the last Jewish organization that observed Shabbat <laughs> to, the, to the end of it because really our conferences are completely observing Shabbat. Yeah. We always have in LA and any and other place, we have events that are glad kosher. Right. At the conference, everything right. is glad kosher. Right. So it's like we, don't, mood. Yeah. We, we don't want anyone to feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable gotcha. to be part of this community. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the number rule for us. If, you're, if you love Israel, you should be part of this community.
0: And and if you love Judaism.
1: And if you love Judaism.
0: Yeah, so looking forward now cuz you're you're the big man on campus next 5 years, what kind of things do you dream about in terms of growing the organization?
1: I think that the biggest opportunity for us it's exactly because I'm not the biggest <laughs> man on the campus is because the IC is becoming a grassroots movement. Mm and because it's becoming a bottom-up movement because we see many more volunteers, community leaders, uh, communities that um, just taking on Mm. the driver's seat. Bottom-up, not top-down. Bottom-up, and we we believe that the power is with the community, so we need to give the values to the community. We spoke about Israel, Jewishness, uh, mutual uh, Mm -hmm. um, responsibility, all the things that we care about, Uh, activism. We need to give the values, we need to give the tools how you build a community, building leadership, um, how you create new opportunities and new innovation within the community. We're big believers in innovation and uh, and entrepreneurial uh, community uh, building. We need to give all these tools, but at the end of the day, our success would be if the communities and the drivers sit, and this is this is where the biggest growth was.
0: I mean, this is the success of all great societies. It's when they bottom up when you're not depending on the government to fix all your problems. This is what made America great, I think. It's not. Uh, it's when you take sort of responsibility, the expression, nobody ever took a rental car to a car wash because you don't feel you own it. Absolutely. But if you feel you own it, you gave me a good example before. Maybe you can tell our listeners in Boston.
1: Yeah, so in, the, in Boston we had this uh, situation where Israeli-American parents found out that the books in public schools have basically anti-Zionist agenda into them. And anti-Zionist today is is basically the new anti-Semitism. And the approach that we have is that the community is taking the lead in this this kind of cases. So the parents went as a minority of immigrants here in the United States, talking about their kids, their safety of their kids, the well-being of their kids, going to public schools. And through... People-to-people diplomacy. Mm-hmm. It's not even public diplomacy. It's people-to-people diplomacy. They were able to completely shift the discussion, and having them, the IAC Boston, to have them as partners in overlooking at this, at this, um, at the, at the, at the curriculum there. And I think that we see it nationwide where the community. Listen, if you try to build a cost to coast community as an organization, always your bandwidth will be limited.
0: Yeah, so it was not the big head office from L.A. that right. was dealing with that issue.
1: Right. It the big office in L.A., which is a small office, is, <laughs> is, is an enabler. I look at our, at, at the IAC as a, as a catalyst. I see, I see. We see ourselves as enablers. As long as we maintain our values, mm-hmm. Of love for Israel, Jewishness, activism, innovation—all that stuff—we create this ecosystem that will take care of itself. And is—and then, if the ecosystem uh, ecosystem takes care of of itself, mm-hmm. it's unlimited.
0: Are there places in America where you're not in that you'd
1: like to be? Alaska. <laughs> Believe it or not, we have activists in, uh, in <laughs> Omaha, <laughs> just today in uh, St. Louis, uh, in Portland. So it's, it's all over. Right now I'm looking at how to go deeper, mm-hmm. how to, to get deeper, how to get uh, more and more Israeli-Americans, more Jewish-Americans mm-hmm. involved to see the community taking really the ownership, as you said, um, for the entire process. And what I, I'll give you one more example, a short story from New York. What happens when you have a community? Because a community is not people coming together to sing. A community is really taking care of its own needs. So we had the same Shishi-type program at the IAC. And the interesting thing happens in between the programs. The programs for me are not the important part. The important part is what happens in between is Mm -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. So one of uh, uh, the participants and actually the leaders in in Shishi, her son, got cancer. Was diagnosed with cancer. Immediately, this entire committee and community were around her. That was not an icy thing. It happened mm-hmm. organically, mm-hmm. and he is, is well now after uh, after months of uh, of, uh, of treatment. But this is where community is becoming. A living it's ecosystem. It's real. It's real, and it's, it's also—it's not in the programs. Yeah. It's not. And I'm really proud at, at at our program. I'm really proud of at what we do, and I'm proud it uh, And and it's important to say that it's it's all because we have amazing donors and amazing supporters, and uh, definitely the adolescents were critical for all this success and i think that all of us being really humble and understanding that really our success depends on the community
0: well look i'm not supposed to give you compliments because it's not a smart thing but i'm going to give you a compliment right now is that uh so much of what you do is offline real people in real places having real coffee with real conversations in real time and you know how rare that is you know many organizations i see that half of what they do is Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and they just keep people alone in their rooms, lonely, facing a screen. And it seems to me, I mean, am I I making this up or what? You don't
1: feel like you're not obsessed with social media. Absolutely, because it's... it's, The reason I'm not repeating it is because you just nailed it. You know, social media was supposed to bring us together but we created this sense of isolation and we're all in our yep. bubbles in our rooms. And we look at, we, we do use technology. We use technology a lot, right? Because if you have 230 graduates from Guverning in the past year and you want to connect stay, them. Stay connected. So they meet every every month or two months over the internet for mm. big sure. sessions from to coast to coast. But sure. at the end of the day, they go back to this discussion. And I'm coming from a heavy technological yeah, background. I know. But, and, and you know what, my, my, my focus was always online learning and video conferencing and all that. And I can tell you, coming from that, that field, that face-to-face meetings, and you find it also managing this kind of organization. There's nothing like you it. You cannot compare it. And this is why you have to bring your team to work together. To I've, meet in I've, the I've done role. 80
0: podcasts already, about 80. And I did, I think, two or three on the phone. Because we had no choice. There was like one with Jay Leno and one in Israel because we had to cover a crisis and stuff. It's not the same thing. It's not the same. Technology
1: cannot cannot replace this human
0: interaction. Thank God for that. I want to leave you with one last question because you talk about this idea of both communities. Do you ever consider building a major presence in Israel where you would, I don't know, where you become a force in Israel itself to to help represent uh, the American Jewishness and the American community as a bridge organization, which, by the way, I think you're the only one, (laughs) certainly in such a big way, as a bridge organization. I mean, does
1: that ever come up in the conversations and you're strategizing? So I'll give you two answers, one technical one, Uh, more ideological the technical one that is an organization our size you have to be focused Uh, Mm -hmm. My biggest threat is always trying to do more and more and more and to be successful We have to be focused and I feel that we have so much work in the United States. We are far from our potential We're doing amazing, but it's it's far from where we should be. So one is is focus and our focus is America And especially the United States. Mm -hmm. We have many um, other opportunities out there in terms of Israel Our ideology is that in Israel there is a thriving democracy Mm -hmm. and we don't want to influence this democracy. We don't want them to be perceived as an an organization that comes to tell Israelis what's better for them. Mm -hmm. At the same time, for example, the summit, the reason it brings Israeli politicians and media and influencers and, uh, and from the academia is to show them and to have an impact to them going back to Israel. I see. And the other way that I think that we have an indirect impact is the fact, and I mentioned it before, that there is circulation. So we have many Israeli-Americans that now speak Jewish-American, right? They know about the different affiliations. They know to speak American. Going back, because many Israeli-Americans going back to Israel with their families, I think that when they're going back to to, to Israel, they're different. And I think they will change society. So I think that we have an indirect effect. We have direct effect through inf- influencers, and um, you'll see. Also, this year we have many from every important media outlet. We have leaders coming in, so I think they're going back. Who are
0: some of the hot names coming?
1: <laughs> I cannot say them yet, <laughs> but okay. um, all right. Well, but, we're, we're, but
0: we're talking, by the way, December fifth to 8th to in 8th. Florida. If people yeah. wanted more information, it's all on your website.
1: Correct. And uh, we are going to release the this, this speaker the this speaker list this year, but you, you've been there last year. Oh, we yeah, had, they're uh, big names. From, Ameri- from the United States, we had the vice president. We had, from Israel, we always, always have ministers and MKs. And the interesting thing is that we have Knesset members. And again, those that really they are quality and they know the material and everything else, they're coming into the conference.
0: Right. The,
1: didn't even imagine something that happens. Israeli-Americans and Jewish-Americans coming together, celebrating Israel. You know, someone like Miriam Peretz that talks so much about Tachdut. She went back to Israel and she said, guys, you don't know what I've seen there. I came immediately to a huge 3,000. Last year we had 3,100.
0: I remember, yeah. It's the goosebumps. um, It's the goosebumps. It really is, and Israelis understand that. And, you know, that's, I think, what you've one of the things you've brought to the community, brought the goosebumps. Uh, what's your web address?
1: It's israeliamerican.org.
0: Okay, israeliamerican.org. Shoham Nicole, atzlacha, <laughs> blessings to you. I learned a lot of new things about IAC, and thank you for all you do. Thank you so much for being here. And once again, I want to thank Mount Sinai Memorial Parks and Mortuaries for sponsoring this episode. Mount Sinai Thank you.